Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast, where we ditch the fads and bring you the latest research on exercise to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Herlihy, an exercise physiologist with Discover Strength. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Hurley. He's so thrilled to be joined today by the one and only Dr. James Steele out of Solent University in the UK. Uh, Dr. Steele, please say hello to everyone. We're so excited to have you back on the podcast today. Hey, everyone. It's always great to be back here, Logan. So uh, really looking forward to having a conversation today. Yeah. And we're hoping we were talking before the podcast kicked off. We're trying to get Dr. Steele to come to the Resistance Exercise Conference in 2022. Fingers crossed that he'll be able to make it there. A little bit of red tape we got to get through, but hopefully all of our listeners that are part of the conference will be able to see him there in the flesh. I'm looking forward to seeing those uh, really ripped arms uh, working out. So we'll see. We'll see what happens uh, today. We're so excited to have Dr. Steele on. So what we're going to be talking about is one of the big things that we always hear, uh, especially at Discover Strength, is what kind of cardio do I need to add on as a supplement to my resistance training? Now I know we've hammered this point home time and time again, but I think it's so important uh, to really focus on the things that we hear over and over again and see what the science, what the literature actually has to say about those things. So Dr. Fisher, why don't you get, I'm sorry, Fisher, Steele, <laughs> Dr. Steele, well, I'm sure that's going to happen a few times. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on the study we're going to be talking about today, some of the history of how it sort of came about, and then um, just sort of the big, uh, big picture ideas before we jump into this. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you kind of like laid it out very well there. People want to know what kind of cardio modality they should be engaging in to accompany their kind of resistance training. And, you know, for a long time, the kind of long, slow, steady state, moderate intensity, continuous training, you know, the kind of uh, Cooper aerobics era kind of created this kind of um, uh, zeitgeist where that was the primary modality that people engaged in. But over recent years, there's been more and more interest in interval type training, high intensity type uh, interval training in particular. And so this kind of debate has emerged about you know, which is optimal for different kinds of outcomes. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence suggesting that interval type training can be just as efficacious as moderate intensity continuous training for a whole range of different outcomes, including cardiorespiratory fitness. Um, but one area that's always kind of contentious is the effects on body composition, in particular fat loss. Um, and so there has been a few, well, a number of studies now that have looked at this topic. And so over the last few years, the literature has been kind of like ripe for a robust systematic review and meta-analysis combining all of the studies that we have looked at this uh, topic to try and pull out a kind of um, uh, robust uh, overarching conclusion as to their kind of comparative effectiveness. Now, there was actually, I was actually originally involved in a meta-analysis that was published a couple of years back, um, which actually contributed somewhat to the controversy itself, because it turned out that, hold my hands up, there were some errors in the analysis. Now, I wasn't directly involved in the analysis, that was our collaborators. Um, but as a result of that, the paper was um, retracted because of the uh, um, 
concerns around the accuracy of the conclusions given them the, the uh, analytical um, errors in it. And so I was quite fortunate that uh, Dr. Brad Schoenfeld, another friend of the podcast, and uh, he'll be speaking at the uh, Resistance Exercise Conference this year as well, um, good friend, he contacted me and um, I, I had been thinking about doing this for some time anyway, needed that mayor culpa to redo that analysis in the right way and so brad got in contact with me and gave me a kick up the backside and we uh, sparked off on a bit of an adventure with some of his uh, fantastic master students to to redo that systematic review and meta-analysis and so and that, before that's we go background. a little yeah i love that i love that and just giving that overarching theme and i didn't want to cut you off there but i do want to make a point here just to say that it's so important what you talked about here having this mia coppola having this uh, self-correcting idea in the research, right? Because I think what happens a lot of times, and this is in any branch of research, it's not just exercise science. Somebody publishes a study, it gets overhyped. We start to think that some new thing is the panacea. It's going to give us all the things that we hoped and desired for in the shortest amount of time, the fastest way possible. We're barely even going to have to work for it, right? And then things start to self-correct over time. We see that maybe somebody was fudging the data a little bit here or there, that maybe they wanted this thing to work a little bit more than it actually did. So they took out some participants or they you know, left this out or put that in. And it's just so important that we continue to do things like these deep dives, these meta-analyses to see what the broader picture actually says. Um, and I, I think it's just one of those things when you look at exercise science and you look at just fitness in general, a lot of times, unfortunately, these things don't self-correct as fast as they should, right? Something becomes popular, something becomes the next big thing. And we don't actually look to see what the updated research says about if it's as effective as we might've thought. So, so please continue about how this new study came together. And then let's just kind of look at the study design, why it's so important, what you guys were doing to really, you know, like you said, have this Mia Coppola and, and, and try to correct some things in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just, you know, to clarify for this specific example, you know, there was no malicious intent that we were aware of. It was genuinely kind of mistakes with it. Um, but as you kind of said, you know, there was this um, overhyping of the results of the new thing. You know, the original results of the uh, meta-analysis with its errors kind of comment, uh, concluded that there was a 28.5% greater reduction in fat mass as a result of interval type training compared to moderate intensity continuous training. Now, because of that and because of the hype around it, this was also another driver for why we wanted to really kind of correct the uh, record and see, well, what does the data actually say when we look at it correctly? Um, so let's get a little bit into essentially what we did then. So for, for the, the listeners who aren't aware of what a systematic review with a meta-analysis is, a systematic review is, is, is very much like doing an original piece of research where you have a kind of rigorous set of methodology uh, a rigorous methodology and a specific question you're trying to answer or hypothesis you're trying to test. It's just that you don't go collect empirical primary data. You collect data from all of the existing studies in a systematic fashion. So you try and reduce sources of bias in the way you identify and locate and include studies. You have specific criteria about which studies do and don't get included such that they're appropriate to answer the question that you're interested in. Um, you have to be very careful about um, specifying exactly what kinds of interventions, how they look and, um, you know, what goes in and what goes out. Um, so we were very, very careful about kind of um, defining our um, interval training interventions in the uh, meta-analyses, um, defining what moderate intensity continuous training was, and so on. 
Um, so we conducted this big systematic search and, uh, you know, we ended up having to search through over 2000 studies to get down to the final 54 studies that were included in the meta-analysis. Um, and I think it's it's worth noting here too, because I, I really loved how stringent the standards were uh, for the requirements, right? So you mentioned there, and, and for our listeners who maybe don't read a lot of research papers, which probably most of them, right? It's pretty easy to lump a lot of things together. I'm sure when you typed in interval training and you know moderate intensity continuous training, like you said, 2000 papers popped up, right? You could have easily lumped all those together, but just so our listeners know what some of these requirements were, and I pulled this right out of the paper, uh, one was randomized controlled trials, right? So like the gold standard within the industry, as far as what we want, randomization that directly compared interval training to moderate intensity, continuous training, body composition, using validated measures in healthy children and adults. So it was things that we know, again, clinically valid um, for the body composition testing. The training was carried out at least once per week for at least four weeks. So you have that minimum dose there, uh, that minimum standard of at least four weeks, right? So we didn't want a one week trial included. And then they had to be published in English language journals or on preprint servers. So really stringent requirements there. I just kind of wanted to drive that point home for our listeners, but please continue. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing we should also add is um, we pre-registered our methodology with this as well. So we planned this all out and publicly pre-registered on the open science framework ahead of conducting the study. So um, it kind of tied us to um, not being able to without letting people know fudge it so that we can include certain studies to tweak the results. You know, we laid it all out. This is what we're going to do. And then we followed through with that, um, which is a good way of kind of holding yourselves accountable and making sure that the study is done in the way that you originally intended it to be done. So that's another way of kind of removing, you know, potential even subconscious biases from the researchers themselves. Um, so yeah, so we ended up with a total of 54 studies in this meta-analysis, which is pretty big. I mean, if you compare it to most resistance training meta-analyses, which are lucky if they have 15 studies in them, um, and most have less than 10. Um, this was a big meta-analysis. Um, now, I won't go into too much detail on like what the actual statistical analysis is, given you know we're not going to geek out on the uh, statistics on the podcast. Um, but I'll give a little bit of a summary of kind of like how a meta-analysis works. Um, but we essentially have to go through all of these studies, extract certain aspects of the data, if there weren't uh, the data reported that we needed in numerical form, we would use their figures and digitally extract the data from those figures. And even if after all of that, we didn't have the data we needed, we got in contact with all of the original researchers and requested the data that we needed um, and followed them up several times to try and get as much data as possible. And I think off the top of my head, there was maybe only two studies where we couldn't get the, so we originally had 56 two of the studies we couldn't get data to include in the meta-analysis, so we ended up with 54. And um, we did a couple of other things as well. We used a uh, validated scale for assessing the quality of the studies that were included. So we looked at the Pedro scale, and we also came up with, we used what's called the GRADE approach, uh, which is, stands for Grading of Recommendations, Assessment, Development, and Evaluations, which is used typically for clinical um, and policy-led intervention-based meta-analyses to try and come up with an overall kind of assessment of the quality of evidence for the conclusions. So we can kind of give an overarching uh, view of, you know, with what certainty do we make the recommendations, the conclusions from the analysis that we've done. Now, to give a kind of like very, like Cliff's notes of the, um, what the analysis involved, 
you can essentially think of kind of a meta-analysis of being a, a way of statistically pooling all of the studies together and being able to draw out an overarching comparison or, or estimate of the overall effect from those studies. So each study um, independently is estimating the, the comparative effect of interval training versus moderate intensity continuous training. And then what we do with the meta-analysis is, um, you know, taking into account a bunch of stuff, uh, we essentially pull, pull all of those individual estimates into a model that then gives us an overarching estimate, weighting the individual estimates from different studies based on how precise they are. So for example, in some cases, you have quite small studies that are included, and in other cases, you might have quite large studies. Well, larger studies typically give us better estimates of the effect we're looking for. And so in the overarching meta-analysis, they get more weight in terms of their contribution to the overall uh, conclusion that we draw. So it's not like we take them all and just average them, in which case every study is treated as kind of equal. The studies are weighted based on how much information they provide towards the overall conclusion. Um, we did a bunch of other kind of supplementary analyses as well, um, but I'll focus on kind of the key outcomes, I think, for this. Um, yeah. So did you want to get into the results? Yeah, I'd love to. And that was such a wonderful explanation of meta-analyses for, for all of our listeners. I mean, I, I think that's something I'll have to share with, with clients and listeners in the future, just to understand the weighted system that goes into it, because it, it really can be convoluted, right? And at first, if you don't know what that is, well, they took everything and they just averaged it out and there's 2000 participants, right? Well, well, no, one study had 12 people and they found maybe results that were completely conflicting because they didn't have large enough sample size. But that study with 200 people found something that was probably a little more in line with what the overall outcomes were. So it's important that we weight those larger studies a little bit more. But yeah, just awesome. Let's talk about the study findings here as far as body composition changes comparing the interval training uh, modalities to those uh, moderate intensity continuous training ones. Are you experiencing low back pain that continues to persist even though you've tried everything? Research indicates the root cause of most back pain is due to deconditioning or lack of strength in the low back musculature. Unlike chiropractic, massage, and other passive therapies that treat the symptoms of low back pain, Medic's Medical Low Back Therapy by Discover Strength is an active therapy, which means it treats the pain at its source. With just two sessions a week for five weeks, the Medic's Medical Low Back Therapy will help you decrease pain levels, increase flexibility and mobility, and improve quality of life and independence. Schedule your free introductory session at our Chanhassen location today. Yeah, okay, absolutely. So, I mean, we looked at um, the results in what are called standardized effect sizes. Um, and all that really means is it's a way of kind of us taking all of the different studies that use slightly different outcome measures and pulling them together in a way that we have them all on the same kind of scale. Um, and so... Essentially, uh, well, I mean, the, the long and short of it is that there is, was, in all practical terms, essentially no difference between interval training and moderate intensity continuous training when it came to absolute fat mass loss. Um, so we actually had a, um, an estimate of the effect as being 
0.02 favoring the moderate intensity continuous training. But to put it in um, in terms that will be understandable, in fact, give me one moment. I have a um, that you can take these standardized effect sizes and convert them into what is called a common language effect size. And a common language effect size, essentially, um, you can think of it like this. If you imagine that um, you were going to randomly select someone from the population of individuals that did the interval training intervention and the population of individuals that did the moderate intensity continuous training intervention. It tells you the probability that one would be higher than the other in terms of their fat mass loss. Um, so I've got a quick calculator up here, which allows me to uh, change that. So an effect size of 0.02 means that there is only a 50.6% probability that one group would be great, that the moderate intensity continuous training group would have greater fat loss than the uh, interval training group. So it's essentially 50-50. That's almost like no difference. Like if we rounded it up, it would be 51%. But even that is for all intents and purposes, you know, basically 50-50. Um, so, so the effects are really, really similar. And we sat, we found the same thing for fat-free mass as well. Um, in fact, we, we had to go to four decimal places um, to report that as 0 0.0004, <laughs> which is basically 50-50 as well. Um, so yeah, comparatively between the two interventions, there was essentially no difference in the effect on fat mass loss or lean mass gain. Yeah. And, and this is where I, I really wanted to have you on and kind of explain this whole thing. And I think it's so important when we tell this to our clients at Discover Strength or when they hear it um, from any other training facility that they might be at is there's really no no shortcut, right? And and when it comes to um, cardiovascular training, whether it's interval training, whether it's continuous training, it really doesn't matter what you do. What you need to do is do the thing that you enjoy. Um, you know, find what you enjoy doing. I think there's a couple big takeaways that I took away from this study. One is right out of there. And then the other is one that I, I just kind of looked at on my own is, you know, there's other studies that show some benefit to this moderate intensity, continual training, but it comes down to time investment, right? And it's unrealistic for most individuals. Now, I think the recommendations were something about over a hundred minutes a day was where you would see actual real tangible benefits compared to interval training. But if you don't have two Two hours a day to invest in low intensity uh, cardiovascular exercise, then there's really no additional benefit to doing that over, you know, some sprints, right? And, and for our, our clients or listeners who are interested in doing intervals, I would highly recommend listening to one of our previous episodes with Dr. Martin Gabala, who's probably the preeminent researcher on interval training in the world. Uh, he wrote the book, The One Minute Workout. And then I just wanted to underscore this, this finding from the paper as well. So therefore, our findings underscore the importance of dietary prescription to facilitate weight loss. However, exercise may play an important supplementary role in the process. So unfortunately, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, uh, thermodynamics, right? Calories in versus calories out and um, finding something that's going to be effective for you. So, you know, again, driving this point home, it's the reason DS is, is so popular that people love us so much is because they only have to train twice a week. You only have to work out for an hour, right? And if you can get the same benefits from an hour of exercise compared to five hours a week, 10 hours a week, great. 
but some people like being in the gym. Some people like working out two hours a day, five days a week. And if that's you, you can have your cake and eat it too, right? All roads sort of lead to Rome here. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to um, if you want to improve your body composition, if you want to see those changes, you have to do something on the dietary end. Any other big kind of takeaways, findings that you think our listeners would be um, interested in hearing? Yeah, I think just quickly to emphasize that point as well, though, you know, we were also fortunate that some of the studies included control groups. So we could do what's called a within condition treatment effect, although really it's an interval training versus control or moderate intensity uh, versus control, which let us actually estimate how much fat mass loss occurred. And, uh, you know, to highlight that, uh, these interventions were exercise only interventions typically. And the average, uh, you know, the meta-analytic estimate of the amount of fat mass loss was 0.2 kilograms. Um, so it's very, very, the effects are very, very small anyway. And it really emphasizes that they need to be done in combination with um, dietary um, intervention. And in fact, we've got, you know, pr uh, Project Discover uh, from last year, which we're, I'm currently working on the analysis for. And this was actually looking at the um, discover strength body composition challenge where we ran a study looking at incorporating obviously the dietary recommendations of caloric uh, deficit and increasing protein intake alongside discover strength uh, you know, based resistance training and I can tell you now you know we, we, we saw um, greater changes um, with those dietary requirements than we've reported in this meta-analysis here so uh, Logan you're absolutely right you know it, it comes down to um, alone neither of them are great um, tools for fat loss. But in combination with dietary um, intervention as well, you can pick whichever one fits best into your lifestyle, your preferences, et cetera. You know, it, it really doesn't make too much of a di difference as to what you choose. So pick which one you're going to stick to. Um, yeah. uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, the only other kind of key outcomes as well were Things like um, when we looked at adherence and dropouts and adverse events, again, we saw no difference between them. You know, both interventions were similarly adhered to, had low rates of dropouts, very, very low rates of adverse events. You know, it was uh, one in a thousand sessions. Did you see any kind of uh, adverse event? And typically they were very minor Um and again, similar between both interventions. Um, and one other final interesting thing that we did see, because there has been a lot of talk about this idea of inter-individual response variation and people saying that, well, interval training reduces the amount of individual variation and in responsiveness. Um, but what we actually found is we did quite an interesting and uh, sophisticated analysis to compare whether or not there was true inter-individual variation and in responses to either intervention. And it didn't seem to be that was the case. You know, on average, people will typically respond in a similar manner to the uh, interventions themselves as well. So, again, it kind of really highlights that picking the intervention that works best for you is really the best approach. Yeah, I think that's such an important point and, and just goes to highlight what I was going to say next, which is, you know, this can seem a little disconcerting to people, right? Who are maybe looking for, well, man, I thought if I just did spin class five days a week, I'd really be on my way to my goal. Um but I think there's freedom in knowing that you have the ability to choose what you want to do for your health, right? Um, if you do just choose to train strength train twice per week at discover strength and not do any cardiovascular activity, that can be enough as long as you're doing it with proper diet. Um, if you want to add in some cardio, we'll never say, don't do that. Go for a walk, go for a hundred minutes a day, do 10 minutes of all out sprints, whatever it is. There's, there's a lot of freedom in knowing that you don't have to do a particular thing. And if you miss something, 
nothing. You go on vacation. You can't get a workout in in the garden like Dr. Steele because he's got one right in his backyard. Well, that's okay. You get back to it next week, right? There's there's freedom in knowing that um, you know you can have that flexibility to do the things that you enjoy doing. And exercise doesn't have to be a chore. It should be something you enjoy doing to an extent, right? It might be a little uncomfortable in the moment, but we want to do it because we want to live longer. We want to feel better. Um, we want to look better. We want to enjoy our lives. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to do that. So any other final takeaways here today, Dr. Steele, things you'd like to share? I'm so excited to get the results from that next study as well. And I know our listeners, uh, many of who participated in that uh, uh, Project Discover study are, are on edge looking forward to seeing the, uh, the outcomes of that study as well. No, I think we've we've done a really good job of covering uh, the meta analysis today. Um, yeah, I'm excited too. You know, I I, I know what the results are, are looking like, so I'm 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 going to hold back on on giving too many sneak peeks uh, today. But yeah, it'll be exciting to get back on and be able to discuss that. Hopefully, we'll be able to get the um, paper written up soon. Hopefully, pre-printed as well, so Discover Strength uh, clients can get a sneak peek ahead of peer-reviewed journal publication of the findings and myself and Dr. Fisher will get on maybe with yourself and Luke to, to talk through um, how that study ran because I mean one thing to say as well is that study is is possibly the biggest um, most robust kind of study of, of looking at the effects of dietary intervention with resistance training um, that has ever been conducted again pre-registered big big sample size for a randomized crossover trial. And I can tell you now the number of other researchers that I've spoken to um, and told them about this trial whilst it was running, uh, they had jaws nearly hit the floor, you know, when I told them the number of participants we got involved. Um, so, you know, and, and that you know, massive thanks has to go out to the Discover Strength client base who participated in the uh, study as well, because, you know, if it's not for the, you guys, we, we wouldn't, um, wouldn't get any of this cool work done. Yeah, very, very cool. And we're excited to share that with all of our listeners um, and all of our clients. And I, I will second that for sure. Thank you, everyone who participated in that. You're part of history, and we can't wait to see uh, what those final outcomes are. Dr. Steele, thank you so much for joining us today. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope to see you at REC 2022, and we will see you all again soon. Thanks, everyone. <music>